Hello. Okay, guys, if you can just quickly take your seat, that would be great. And uh, just for those of you that I haven't met um, already, my name is Ben, Ben Rowe, and I'm from Southampton. Uh, I'm one of the leaders down there, and uh, I'm married to the beautiful Vicky Rowe, um, who always gets a louder cheer than me. We've got two little boys called Danny and Caleb. Uh, and tonight, uh, sorry, this morning, I want to just speak a little bit before we take up the offering. And I want to say just from the very outset that as we give financially today, uh, that lives, as I've been saying all week, are genuinely going to be transformed by giving. Communities are going to be changed and transformed. There are many church plants that will benefit from the money being given. But I also want to say this, is that as we give financially, it's a huge blessing to God. Because when we give, we make a declaration that we trust in Him. We're putting our faith in Him. I also want to say this, that as we give financially, that the Bible promises that we will be blessed. It is good for us to give. And today I want to do quite a simple thing. I want to give us three what I would call kingdom principles that will help us when considering what to give, when considering how to give, but really I want to give us three principles that would really aid us today, but would really do us good for the rest of our lives as well. One of my favorite stories when I was growing up um, as a a young Christian was the story of a, a guy called Zacchaeus. You find it in Luke 19. And Zacchaeus was a little guy, and uh, it's a great story. He's a tax collector. So everyone in his town hated him. He basically was a turncoat, right? So he was one of the local guys that said to the Romans, I'm happy to work for you. I'll collect the taxes of the people in our town. And so, of course, his mates and all that kind of stuff would have hated him for that. And Zacchaeus didn't just get the taxes that people owed. Zacchaeus cheated people out of money. He took more than people owed, and he used to pocket it. And so he was a nasty little bit of work, and he was little as well. And one day, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming to town. And so Zacchaeus climbs a tree. The crowds are all getting around Jesus and trying to see who he is. And Zacchaeus climbs up this tree... Uh, And to his amazement, Jesus comes to the foot of the tree. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down here because I want to come to your house to do dinner today. And so Zacchaeus says, that's great. And he he takes Jesus. And obviously everyone's hating it. And why is Jesus going around the, the, the house of a sinner, the guy that takes all of our money? And something significant happened in that meeting between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And it's something that I would be praying happens today in a greater measure to myself and a greater measure to you as well. You see, at the end of the encounter that Zacchaeus has with Jesus, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, all the money that I've ever taken, I'm going to give back to people. All the people that I've cheated, I'm going to give the money back. But get this, he doesn't just say that he's going to give the money back. He says, I'm going to give them four times the amount that I've taken back to them. And he doesn't stop there. Zacchaeus also says, I'm going to give half my possessions away. And he was a wealthy man, right? So he parted with a lot that day. And he stood up and he declared this because of the encounter that he has with Jesus. And then Jesus says an interesting thing. It's not like, oh, good one, Zacchaeus. It's really nice to be generous. Good one, Zacchaeus. It's great to give. What Jesus says to Zacchaeus is this. Today, salvation has come to this house. What Jesus is talking about is today, the God of money 
died in Zacchaeus' heart and the love of God was resurrected and came to life. We see in Acts 2, after Peter, we've heard a lot about Peter this year. And after Jesus goes back to heaven to be with the Father, the disciples encounter the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter then preaches, 3,000 plus people are saved, give their lives to Jesus and are baptised. And at the end of Acts 2, which is one of the books in the New Testament, we see the, the church moving into a new era, doing incredible things. The people were dedicated to one another. They were desperate to hear the word of God. They broke bread together, remembering the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. They lifted up songs in adoration to King Jesus. And one of the things that defined them was this. It said that they gave to all who had need. In fact, people were so changed and transformed and challenged by the prospect of following Jesus Christ that people were so moved and compelled that they even sold their own homes and gave all of their money to the church. Why? To honour God and to see his kingdom advance. In the same way that something happened in the heart of Zacchaeus, something radical happened to the church in Jerusalem in those days which spread out like wildfire in the early church. I want to be part of a church that is like that. I don't know about you. And today I want to just help us. To help us come face to face with the God of money. You see, this generation emerging, I want to speak to you today, and I'm going to count myself in your generation, if that's cool with you. We are bombarded, as we heard the other, the other evening from Livy, with all manner of, of media, adverts, the internet on TV, live for the moment, live for the moment, get as much stuff as you possibly can. That is not the way of the kingdom. I want to give three points today that hopefully will aid us in seeing the God of money destroyed in our own lives and the gift of generosity come in fullness. Three points. First of all, it's all his. Second of all, He is generous. And thirdly, we are living for eternity. So let's get into this. First of all, it's all his. Psalm 24 says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now you may have heard that verse thousands of times before. For some of you, you've just heard that verse for the very first time, but for all people here, let me just read it again, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it doesn't really leave much on planet earth that ain't God's, right? And sometimes when we read the Bible, we we skim past passages like this, we we read a verse like this and we skim past it and we think, oh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that's very nice, oh God... God owns a few bits and bobs. He's got the daisies and the daffodils. Good on you, God. And sometimes it's important that we just stop and allow the magnitude and the weight and the significance of a verse in the Bible to to take form in our hearts, to go deep, to allow it to change us, to nurture us, to feed our souls. And I want to say to everyone in this place, whoever you are, whether you're a church leader, whether you're old, you're young, whether it's the first time or you've been here uh, for all the years that New Day have run, listen to this verse. The earth is the Lord's 
and everything in it. So when I say point number one, it's all his, you say, what's all his? I say, everything. Everything. And I don't know what comes to your mind when I say the earth is the Lord's. Maybe for some of you, you're, you're straight into nature, and you're thinking, yeah, I, I can get that. And you start thinking about the seas, and the forests, and the jungles, and the deserts. You start thinking of sunsets and looking up into the starry skies. Well, you'd be right to think all of those things. You're absolutely right. All of that is his. Maybe some of you are thinking about your your pets, like cats. And maybe you love thinking about Africa and the plains of Africa and all the animals that inhabit the earth. Well, you would also be right in thinking that because they are all his. For some of you, maybe you're more like concrete jungle people. I I talk about the earth and you instantly think of the city. And you think of the high rises. You think of the cities that you live in. Places like London and Manchester and Birmingham. For some of you, maybe you've travelled a bit and you think of mighty cities all over the world. The Statue of Liberty in New York, Washington DC. You start to think of LA, the Eiffel Tower, Paris. I'm going to stop there, I'm not good at geography. The Great Wall of China, there's one for you, going the other side of the world. And you start to think of all these great cities... And you'd be absolutely right in thinking like that because that's all his as well. That verse goes on to say this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and get this, and all who live in it. So when we say that everything belongs to God, it includes you and it includes me. It includes the villages, the towns, and the cities that we inhabit. And if it includes all of those things, also it includes the banks And it includes the money that are in the banks. I want to put it to you today that a great kingdom principle when considering what to give, how to give, how to steward the the, the money that God has entrusted you with is to remember that all of it is his. On a daily basis, be grateful. Put everything on the table. Say, Father God, I thank you that you have put these clothes on my back. I thank you for my Air Maxes. I thank you for the roof over my head. I thank you that I'm able to eat every day. I thank you that you have provided so much to me. I thank you for the amount of money that I've got in my pocket, whether it's 5p, 5 pound, 5,000 pound. God, thank you that you have provided. I put it on the table. All of it is yours. And now I say, God, what can I give to be a blessing to you and to be a blessing to other people? A couple of years ago, I had a, a great opportunity I used to be uh, the youth leader at Southampton, and uh, we continued running this sort of outreach night on a Friday night. We're getting hundreds of young people come along that don't know Jesus. It was great. Still going and and just doing great. And uh, it it raised the attention with one of the counsellors. So the counsellor comes to see me, and he says to me, Ben, I want to help you out with some of this. It's like, you, you, clearly you're doing a great thing. What's going on? I'm like, well, you know, it's the church and it's great and, you know, we're, we're not ashamed of Jesus, but it'd be great if you can help us. And he's like, well, how about we buy you some footballs? Now, at the time, we're getting like 400 young people coming along and I'm like, I'm not being funny or anything, but if you give me a bunch of footballs, that's not really going to aid me that much. But how about you buy me a mugger pitch? So he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, a multi-use games area, like a basketball cage. That's why we win the basketball come second most years at New Day. <laughs> Sorry. And I say, how about you give us a mugger pitch? So we've gone from like £10 up to £40,000. He looks at me and he says, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm like, I should ask you questions more often, right? 
He says, that's a fantastic idea. And he says, well, let's go through the paperwork. So we start going through the paperwork. And he says, the last thing that you've got to do is you've got to come and you've got to speak to the council. We're going to gather a load of people from the community and you come along uh, and you do your thing. So we had to go along, me and uh, the, the lady that I work with, Ali, who still helps run the youth work, and we took a couple of young people with us. So we go along, and, and I get up, and I'm standing in front of these councillors, full of a room uh, of people from the community, and I give my little spiel. Ali gets up, does her little thing. One of the girls that, that comes along to the club gets up, does her thing. And lastly, uh, a good friend of mine, Josh, uh, who hadn't had loads of experience in public speaking, it was his turn to get up and speak to these councillors. And I'm a little bit nervous for him because he's never been up in front of people. And then, before I know it, he's like pigeon-chesting, which is what I call like a strut, right? So when you've got your chest out, and he is strutting up to the, uh, to the lectern to these councillors, and he stands in front of these councillors and gives this epic speech, which can only be described like something out of Gladiator or Braveheart, telling these councillors why they should give us £40,000 to bless the young people that are coming to us on a Friday night. With that, we walk out, and we've done our bit. Before I can turn to Josh and say, where on earth did that come from? He turned to me and he said, guys, listen. He said, I was so scared when you were up there talking that I started to pray. And as I started to pray, God spoke to me. And he said, Josh, that money that is in the hands of the councillors, I gave them. They're looking after it on my behalf, but ultimately that money is mine. And Josh found faith. Josh saw something that would benefit the kingdom of God and saw that money would not be an obstacle. And so he said, when I got up there, I was simply asking the the, the councillors to give back what was already God's. The next day, we got a phone call saying, you've been granted the £40,000. A few weeks later, I get a letter saying, not only have you got the £40,000, but two of the councillors on the panel were so impressed that they both want to give £5,000 as well. And we end up with 50 grand and build this mugger pitch. An incredible story. The truth is this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It has to change the way that we view our money. Don't start in a place today thinking, God, this is all mine, what can I give to you? Start in a place where you say, God, thank you so much for everything that you have blessed me with. What can I give back to you? And some of you might be sat there thinking, well, this is all a little bit weird, it's a bit stingy. It's like, that's not the God that I know. It seems like he's like holding back on us. Well, my second point is this, that he is generous. He is generous. I used to have a a grandpa, he's dead now, many years ago died, but I remember growing up as a little boy, uh, I used to go to Southampton, so I grew up in, in Kent and we used to go down to Southampton for the holidays, and I used to knock on the door and my nan would open the door, he'd give her a kiss on the cheek and then I'd run through, and he was like, you know, when you get to a certain age and you're a guy, you've got your own chair in the corner of a room, right? And he used to sit in his chair and I'd run over and I'd get up and I'd sit on his knee and he'd do that thing where, where you know, grandparents rummage through their pockets and you can hear the change. You're like, come on, give me something, give me something. And then he'd get out a pound coin and be like, go and, and run over the road and get yourself some sweets. But even better than that, it was better when his hand went in his pocket and you couldn't hear the change rattling. And what he wouldn't do, he'd never turn around and say, I don't have anything for you. If he didn't have any change in his pocket, he'd be like, wait there a minute. And then he'd pop off for 10 minutes or so and he'd come back and he'd say, I ain't got any change, but here's a fiver. Go and enjoy yourself. And you'd come back with all these sweets and it would be amazing. My grandpa was generous. God is so much more generous than that. I've got two little boys, one called Danny, one called Caleb. 
Do you know little kids have got it so good, haven't they? They don't even realise. I mean, it's like living in a five-star luxury resort every day of your life. You come downstairs and you've got milk on tap, Cheerios and cornflakes on tap. It's like you, don't, you just expect it to be there every day. It comes to lunchtime. Of course, lunch is served. It comes to dinner time. Of course, dinner is served. But we want to bless them. They're our little kids and we love them. We want them to, to do well and to be nurtured and to grow up healthy. And we say, go and enjoy the garden. Go and enjoy the living room. Don't jump on top of the sofas, but go and enjoy the living room and enjoy the Wii and enjoy all those kinds of things. Like not having a Wii, as in playing the Wii, yeah? Enjoy having a Wii as well if you want to do that, but whatever. But we say to Daniel and Caleb, enjoy it. Be blessed by it. And this is the same with God when he views us. When God created, he said, go and enjoy. You say, I want to put some football goals up over in this field. And he says, absolutely, go and enjoy that field. Go and play football, put Tottenham shirts on and enjoy it. Exactly. And we say that we want to go on holiday and, and lie in the golden sand and look at the palm trees with the coconuts and all that kind of stuff. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, stay late this evening because the sun that I created is going to start to set and you are going to see something in the sky that is so magnificent you'll never forget it. And you say, I want to go and look at the mountains. And God says, yeah, absolutely. Go and look at them. They are good. I created them. Go and see them. But don't just look at them. If you can, climb up the top of them as well. Because when you get to the top of them and look out, you are going to see a magnificent view. And God says, enjoy creation. And he doesn't stop there. He he puts creativity in our hearts so that we can create and we can build. And he says, absolutely. And enjoy that. Enjoy the creativity that I've blessed you with. But God didn't make us just simply to to enjoy that that he had created. God made us with the the overflow of generosity in his heart, the overflow of love in his heart. And he said, enjoy everything that I've made. He said, enjoy the creativity that I've placed in your heart. But I love you guys so much that I want you to enjoy intimate relationship with me as well. I want to pour out a blessing on you that is going to be so radical that it is going to change your life now and forevermore. I want you to understand what it's like to be in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to get it. I want you to understand what it's like to be my son, to be my daughter, now and forevermore. And when God saw the barrier, the divide, he held nothing back from us because he is generous. When he looked at sin, it was like, I'm going to deal with that. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't sort of say, well, I could give my best, or I could send someone else to the cross and see how they get on. No one else could go to the cross. No one else was worthy to go to the cross. It had to be the perfect King Jesus that went to the cross, who had lived the perfect life and would be the perfect sacrificial lamb. And he did. And he went to the cross. And he had endured the suffering and the pain, the whips on his back, the mocking voices from the crowd, the spitting, the punching, the kicking. He endured the nails in his hands and in his feet. And he endured that moment where the father turned his face away. My God, my God, why do you forsake me? And Jesus died. And he did it in obedience to the Father, because he loves us so, so much that he wanted to deal with sin once and for all.
And Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus came to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, was then raised to life, dealing with death forever. And he did it so that we could come into relationship with him. And the interesting thing is this. Hundreds of people this week, you've given your life to Jesus. You've said, God, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my eternal salvation. Thousands of you have already done that. You came to this week knowing, knowing that God has dealt with my sin that I may live forever. There are thousands of people right now that would understand I used to be a sinner, but God loved me so much that he sent his son. Jesus lived a perfect life, and then he died to deal with my sin. And he was buried in the tomb, but he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning that I am going to live forever with him. I believe this. I believe in you, God. I believe in your redeeming power. I believe that the day at Calvary was significant for me. I believe that you died and that you rose again. I believe that I'm going to live forever with you. And yet I really struggle. I really struggle to part with my money. I trust you with my eternal salvation, but I struggle to trust you with my money. Because the world tells us that we are to find satisfaction and joy in money. That ultimately, that the, the money in our bank account is that that gives us a good foundation, that it's that that gives us security. Now, having money isn't a bad thing. Is it wise to have a little bit tucked away for a rainy day? Yeah, that's fine. I've not got a problem with that. But the world says that everything rests on how much you have. That is not what the Bible says. And so what are we saying? When we say that God is generous, it's, it's not like God gives us everything. And so we owe him something. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, if God gave his son, if God threw the kitchen sink at sin and death, that we may live forever with him, do we not believe that he will look after us on a day-to-day basis as we trust in him with our money? You see, when we give today, when we give into the generosity of God, what we're saying is, God, I trust you with this money. I trust that this will be a blessing to your name. I trust that this will be a blessing to people that don't know you. And I trust that I will be blessed as I give this money. He is generous beyond measure. Do you know that God never runs out of generosity? We were talking the other day, and it's not like... You get to the end of the week at New Day and you just feel like you're spent. You feel like you've given everything that you can. You're running around being crazy. By the end of it, like most of you will probably sleep for two or three days when you get home and all that kind of stuff. God just doesn't get like that. And I could just keep starting to give money away to the boys or to you guys and eventually I would run out. God does not run out of blessings. The storehouses of heaven, as I speak this morning, are absolutely brim to the full. The hand of the Father in heaven is never empty. He wants to bless us. He wants to pour out his mercy and his grace in our lives. Not always in a financial way, but in all kinds of ways. He wants to come. He loves us. And he wants to pour out his blessing. That verse that I want you to remember on the point there, he is generous. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son.
Let that verse come to life in your heart every time you think of it. Again, you've probably heard it thousands of times. Don't become complacent with the fact that your Father in heaven gave it all. His beloved Son. Don't become complacent with the fact that God gave everything that you may come into his family. The last point that I just want to end with is this. It's the continuation of that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We are living for eternity. That's a really big deal. Now just wait there guys. So often we forget the purpose of which we live is going somewhere. You see the God that we've been speaking about all week is a God who is eternal. He is the only one that has no beginning and no end. He's the only one who is uncreated. He's other. He's different to you and he's different to me. He's a really, really big deal. And he is establishing a kingdom, a kingdom that he has invited you and I to be part of, that many of us are part of. And that kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's a kingdom that will not perish. The Bible says that it's a kingdom that is unshakable. And the king, King Jesus, sits on a throne with authority that he will hold forever and ever and ever and ever. There is none that can come against the authority of Christ and succeed. There is none that can overthrow our King Jesus. This is the kingdom that you and I belong to. And we have a choice. We can invest into that future. We can invest into the life that we're going to have forever with him. Or we can choose to try and gain as much stuff in this lifetime as we can. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 talks about storing up treasure in heaven rather than storing up treasure on earth. The best illustration for this, of course, is in Toy Story. Toy Story 2, we meet a little cowgirl called Jessie. She's a toy. And there's this really sad moment where Jessie starts to talk to these other toys about how her owner had abandoned her. And then that song kicks in. And everyone's crying. And it's sad. But Andy turns up on the scene and adopts Jessie into the family. Now Jessie is a toy that's being used again. And she's mates with Woody and Buzz Lightyear and the Springy Dog and Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. And all the gang are there, Rex. And then at the end of Toy Story 3, I'm really sorry if if you've never seen it. I'm going to ruin it for you right now. But Andy's grown up over these three films. And it's time for Andy to go to university. And he doesn't need toys anymore. He doesn't want to play with toys anymore. If you are going to uni, that's a good idea. It will help you get rid of your toys. Don't take them with you. And there's this really sad moment where Andy has to say goodbye to all these characters that you've come to love. But he gives them to this little girl. And the little girl, of course, is going to go on forever playing with these toys and being blessed by these toys. And the toys will live forever. Right before that scene, 
All the toys are in an incinerator at a junkyard. That means that they're going into the fire to be burnt to nothing. Quite frankly, that would have been a more truthful end to the story. And even if they didn't go into the fire, the reality is that that little girl is definitely going to snap Buzz Lightyear's wings off. That springy dog is going to get tangled up and thrown in the bin. You know it and I know it. Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head are definitely going to lose their eyes, their ears and their mouths by the end of the day, right? I've done it and you've done it. The point is this, is those things, toys, they're not going to live forever. If you go to a, a junkyard or a landfill, and I'm talking reality now, not in the Toy Story films, you'll see all manner of different things. You'll see toys, you'll see iPads and iPhones and iPods and eyes. You'll see bikes and scooters and cars and trains and bits of planes, you'll see windows from houses and roofs from houses. And what you realise when you gaze upon such things, these are the things that people have sacrificed for. These are the things that people have invested in. These are the things that people have wept over. These are the things that people have got divorced over and argued over and put their their trust in. And they've ended up in this place, in a junkyard, with, with no purpose except to go to the incinerator. And we have a choice. We can either live for such things, live for things that will inevitably pass away. At some point in history, you are going to part with all this stuff. Even if it's the nicest t-shirt you've ever bought, the most expensive pair of trainers, the nicest hat, you've got a new ride. For some of you, that's a car. For some of you, it's a bike. For some of you, it's a scooter. You're not going to keep them forever. And you've got a choice. You can either invest there or... You can invest in a relationship that promises to give us so much joy than all the gold on planet Earth that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. It's so easy in our lives, and I'm just finishing now, so easy in our lives to forget the purpose that we're living for. It's great to look back in history And to look at people that inspire us on the pages of the Bible, men and women that have gone before us who have lived by faith. When we read the scriptures, it's good for us. It's the word of the living God. And it feeds us. And it nourishes us. And it helps us grow in faith and maturity. And it's great to be inspired by those who have gone before us. Of course, it's wonderful to to think back about King Jesus, fully God and fully man, walking amongst human beings in a unique way, revealing the reality of the Father, going to the cross, dying and being risen. It's great to look back. It's great to consider now that as we speak that Jesus is alive, sat on the throne. It's great to think that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are at work all across this world, in villages and in towns and in cities. Even this week, many have come into relationship with God and will be blessed by doing so. But New Day, please, please hear me when I say this. Don't forget to look forward. We must be a generation that holds firm to the reality that there is a great day coming. We must be a generation, we must allow it to impact us that there is a day coming where the trumpet will sound and the King of Kings that we've been talking about will indeed come again. He will... Jesus is going to come again and once and for all deal with the enemy and he will take us into the new earth 
And his promise is this, that he will wipe away every tear, that there will be no more sin, that there will be no more suffering, that there will be no more sickness, that there will be no more death and no more mourning. And we will live in perfect glory with him forever and ever and ever. This is the purpose for which we live. We live for this king, this king that's coming again, who will sit on the throne for all eternity. And I want to encourage us, as we consider where we invest our time, where we invest our efforts, where we invest our prayer, and where we invest our money, let us do so knowing this, that God created all things, and all things belong to him. Yet in his generosity, he has given to us, wanting to work with us, wanting us to steward diligently with him. We can trust him. We can trust him because he is generous. And we are investing in a day to come. When the lives of those youngsters that have come forward this week were touched by the hand of God, it had eternal significance. Eternal significance. It's not just a good thing for this week. Those lives have been won forever. We must live with an eternal perspective. And so as we give today, let us give in the knowledge that God has blessed us, given to us, that God loves us, that he is faithful, that he will pour out his blessing as we give, that as we give, we will be a blessing to him and join in with the advance of the glorious kingdom, the kingdom that cannot and will not be shaken and the kingdom that will last forever and ever. Livy talked earlier in the week about dying dying to ourselves that we may run after Jesus Christ. For those of you that have been in here, Andrew talked about the other day about letting go of that that entertains us to take hold of the greater prize in Jesus Christ. For many of us, money might not be top of the list in terms of if I said, do you struggle with money? Many of you would say no. Some of you may say yes, but many would probably say no. But it can be quite a subtle thing as the enemy comes in and says, find your security in money. Find a greater love in possessions, a greater love than God. And what I want to do in in just one moment is, as everyone has remained seated, I just want to pray that just like Zacchaeus, God would do a great work in our hearts. I'm praying it for myself, that God would help me die to the love of money again. And to see the greater prize in Jesus. And I just want to offer for you to to come with that journey with me this morning in prayer. As we consider where our hearts are with that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you're no fairy tale. I thank you that you are the true living God. And I thank you that there is a reality as we stand in this tent today, that you have lived forever. I thank you for the reality that out of the overflow of your heart, 
you created. I thank you that you made us <laughs> for every individual in this place. And I thank you, God, that you purposed for us to come into relationship with you. That we would receive the full benefit of knowing what it is to have our sins forgiven and to be in intimate relationship with a glorious, majestic, holy God. I thank you for the reality of what that means. I thank you for what that means now. And I thank you for what it means on the day that we come face to face with you. That we will be welcomed home into your arms. Father, thank you that 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 day is secure. Thank you that it's certain that the day that King Jesus is coming again is written as part of your story. That there is a day coming where the trumpet will sound and you will return. And in light of this truth, I ask now, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just embed revelation in each one of our hearts where the love of money has started to take hold of hearts and minds. Right now, right across this place, I ask with the authority of King Jesus that every chain that binds would be broken. I ask now for a letting go of the love of money and stuff and the great love of the King would just be released right across this place in the name of Jesus. Jesus, would you take your rightful place at the very centre of our lives? Not just for this moment, not just for this offering, but would this be our course now and forevermore? We lay it all down before you again, mighty Jesus, and say that we love you with our whole hearts. We want to run after you, we want to commit to you, and we want to play our part in seeing your kingdom advance. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.